I V M. Hello and welcome to the Filter Coffee Podcast. Continuing with our best of series, we're going to listen to two of our most fun episodes, and both have to do with the business of alcohol. But the guests are from completely different backgrounds. In one of our earliest episodes, we spoke to Pushpanjali, who comes from a family that has built some of the most iconic alcohol brands in India, the Kindle Group. Pushpanjali herself heads marketing for the group. while being an advertising entrepreneur as well i spoke to her about some of the big myths in the alcohol industry in india including the big question how did we become such a huge whiskey drinking nation let's listen in so yes india does consume a lot of scotch because a mm. lot of scotch also goes into the local uh, whiskies that we produce here so there is um, there is some amount of scotch that that are used in making of indian brands as well mm-hmm. uh which is why scotch as a bulk sort of product also uh, gets massively imported into india so there's a lot of uh, you know uh, there's a, there's there's a massive demand whiskey is the number one category followed yeah. by rum and then followed by brandy but i'm assuming uh, just so me and the listeners understand this right this statistic is more for the blended scotch right it doesn't include really the the single malt variety No, as well, it right? doesn't so include it the single malt variety. Right. No, okay, cool. but as a whole, you could of course say it's Scotch whiskey. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So we we're fundamentally a whiskey drinking yeah. country. Yeah. Um. And 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 the only exception being, um. Again, what I understand from the stats is South India is was is and continues to be a fairly large brandy drinking population. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. Which makes no sense to me because I I was born and raised in Chennai. Right. and uh, given that we have four seasons right um there's summer and then it's hot and then it's extremely hot and then <laughs> are you kidding with me hot so the last thing that ever occurred to me as a beverage yeah. is is brandy mm. what is this south india brandy connection i think it's it's always been there i don't know if it's a colonial thing uh, okay. or uh, historically uh, you know that part has been but one thing about uh, about spirits which mm. a lot of people forget is that it's a lot like food and mm. it's very regional it's very driven by um, you know what's big in that region so if you, if you go to france uh, everybody's talking about cognacs and champagnes and you know what it's their local you know uh, flavor it's it's what works there or or tequila for example Hmm. Uh so there's there's always a particular taste food culture which and and how a spirit is a part of that. Uh there is no Nike Adidas Reebok in the world of spirits. Right. The local spirits actually have the largest share of sales uh in any part of the world, you know. When you think about these imported brands they've sort of made their way across the world, but that doesn't mean that they are the largest selling So you're saying that there is no national leader when it comes to there's no Amitabh Bachchan when it comes to alcohol brands, right? So yeah. There are just Kamal Hassan's and and Rajnikanth's. Yes. Right? Okay. Yeah. So uh, by far, is is there any statistic that tells us which is the largest consumed brand overall in India? I'm sure there is, but, but I yeah. I don't yeah. know. I don't yeah. know what it is. I want to say it's McDonald's, but that's something that we should check. Yeah. What we do have stats for is. Um, 
I looked up where we are going as as a industry right. when it comes to alcohol, and um, I think we are by twenty twenty two going to be a a country that consumes six point eight liters. Sorry, six point eight billion liters of alcohol in right. a year. Right. right. And apparently, we are we are moving at about eight to ten percent CAGR. Yeah. Uh, year on year. So that's yeah. would you, would you say those are those are healthy numbers? Yeah, those are healthy numbers. Right. Yeah. And what's fascinating to me in this is um, if I look up the kind of alcohol that is actually growing faster than the others. Apparently, wine and vodka. Yeah. Are the fastest growing beverages? Yeah. Right? yeah. Both roughly around twenty one, twenty two percent each. True. Right? True. And and wine is a fairly late entrant into the Indian scene, isn't it? Not really. Wine uh, do you, have you always around. had had wine? Yeah, wine has always been around. I think. So let me put it this way. Uh, I think um, you know, growing up, the only wine that, that I could see in in South India was, I think, it was a brand called Golconda. Okay. Uh, which which was just not very good, but but we all <laughs> we all uh, gotten used to it, and then right. we started loving it at some point right. in life. But yeah, besides that, I've never seen the you know, the influence of so many brands, both mm. domestic as well as international. And at yeah. least as as a consumer, I've, for me, this has always been the last ten years or so. Right. Right. Uh, when where was the tipping point for for wine in India? I think ever since uh, Sula and uh, Grover and all these brands, they've they've done a good job. They've sort of made wine available at a very affordable price mm. uh, across pack sizes. So you've got two hundred mLs, five hundred mLs. You've got very nice, um, smallish bottles mm. of wine as well. Also, there's a global sort of uh, awareness which has sort of crept in around wine. There's a lot of excitement around sparkling wine. And prosecco is like a massive trend in the UK, right. which I suspect will will hit fact, India, India soon. Yeah. pretty soon. Yeah. Yeah. And um, the problem with wine is that it's sort of been thought that it's more of a woman's drink, and the occasion for wine has not very clearly been spelled out. Hmm. Like you've always had whiskey advertisements saying, you know, eight PM. If you remember the Radico ad, you know, eight baje you sit down and you know you put your differences aside and you have a drink. So there's always been this whole community and communication which has been very clearly an occasion which has been created for whiskey. It's like really your after work stress buster with your friends kind of guy thing to do. Uh, but wine hasn't. We actually really... had a whiskey brand called Eight PM, right? Yeah, there is a whiskey brand. There's that's Radico. Yeah. yeah, that's okay. the one I was okay. talking All about. Right. Yeah, yeah. So, um, but with wine. uh i think there hasn't been a very clear campaign or communication or when to drink it or who to drink it with and um it's sort of um, hasn't been able to really create that occasion for itself which is an interesting challenge and i think um, i think in times to come it will be addressed and a lot of people are choosing wine because they consider it to be healthier than mixing it with you know sugary mixers they think it's better to have wine through the day or also uh, drinking it with their food hmm. so there's a lot of there's a lot of opportunity for wine actually to to make a name for itself and to create you know a very um, A, a, good a more plan. engaged yeah, audience. Yeah, more engaged yeah. audience. But yeah, I, I know that you mentioned it. I think uh, I don't. I don't recall any single wine commercial. Mm. I think the only Neither wine I recall I. is um, Agassiz as um, 
Jacob's Creek's ambassador, I think, during during probably Australian Open or something like that. Okay. Uh, which which is a Pernod Ricard right. uh, brand. Um, I think beyond that, yeah. So so all the startups that uh, you mentioned, you mm, know, Fratelli, mm. Grover, yeah. Sula, etc. Like Fratelli is doing yeah. a good job. Like if you taste their wine, it's actually very good wine. Yeah. Some of their yeah. wines are, I mean, um, off late, I think their quality is really improved and. Uh, yeah. They are doing a. They're doing a good job. There's another uh, small uh, winery called York, mm. uh, which is also doing really good wine. They're much more very affordable. affordable yeah, very affordable, yeah, yeah. in fact. So uh, there is a massive case for wines out of India, which are which are being you know which I, are, which, I, which I can go so, the Amrut yeah. way and you know be yeah, known for yeah. how good they are. Yeah, in fact, I think uh, probably one of my favorite wine brands, along with uh, some of the Fratellis out there, uh, is Big Banyan. Right, uh, which right. is more, I think, a Bangalore, Goan, Bombay right. brand. It has never really uh, made it's, it to It's North part America. of John. Oh, John. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, is it the question of marketing budgets? Is that why I have never seen a, a Sula ad, or uh, is is activation a much more lucrative medium for a brand like that? See, I think that ATL has been missing uh, from these, it's, it is definitely very expensive to go in an ATL sort of direction. Hmm. Of course, the surrogate and the internal rules also make it very difficult for you to do those kind of things. So you, you only see, uh, you know, the Diageos and the Pernos really doing an ATL sort of campaign. It is an expensive uh, right. proposition. So that could be a massive reason why wine brands have, and obviously they don't have the kind of volume in sales that a major category like a, like whiskey or rum. Right. On that note, We'll take a very quick break and come back right away on the Filter Coffee podcast with the second guest on today's show. Welcome back to the Filter Coffee podcast. My guest Pratik, with whom we recorded an episode a few weeks back, runs one of my most favorite restaurants in Delhi, Kila, which overlooks the Kutub Minar. But Pratik is also the best mind I know on wine. He is self-taught for the most part and is one of those sommeliers who doesn't shove his wine expertise on your face. Instead, he's actually in a lifelong mission of making his customers feel at ease while ordering wine, whether or not they have any idea of what they're doing. Obviously, I did a lot of myth-busting with Pratik, including the all-important question, if I leave a red in my cupboard for years, does it actually age? Let's listen in. What is the export point of view on red or white? So, if you see, um, I would say that there is a there is a wine drinking cycle that you go through when you are discovering wine. If you remember, initially I said how wine is actually a journey. It's not a one-day process. It's not something which, let's say, you've already subscribed to and it kind of gets over. It's a, it's a lovely, um, vicious loop that you commit yourself to if you really want to become a wine drinker or a connoisseur. So in a wine drinking cycle, what you typically go through is when you start drinking, you always like wines which are lighter, mm. uh, perhaps white, a little more sweet with a little bit of extra residual sugar. Then you start graduating towards a little more bolder in your face flavors. Mm. For example, if let's say you started wine drinking with a white wine like Riesling, a New World or a German style Riesling, which has a little sugar, chances are you'll start going towards, let's say, a dry Chardonnay. From there, you'll probably enter the zone of red wines, which have wines like Merlot or a Cabernet, which you come across very often. From there, you start getting into even 
again more mature styles wines which have been aged for 20 30 years mm. uh, they have they are more expensive than the previous counterparts when you had started the the flavor profile uh just the opulence of the wine is far better than what you would have tried earlier so you're literally going through this trajectory and then towards the end of your wine drinking cycle chances are that you would come back to whites again but this mm-hmm. time those whites are not the let's say the sweeter ones or the ones that you started with but again wines which can white wines which can age up to another 20 30 years for example some of the best chardonnays from burgundy mm. so this is what typically a wine drinker would experience Right. And when it comes to exploring or even starting off and saying, "Hey, what do I drink?" You can simply just grab a bottle. Mm. Uh white or red doesn't matter. But yes, the chances are if you don't know too much, you might like an off-dry style of white wine. Mm. Mm. But but you don't make as as an expert a distinction mm. between white or or red. You for you both are both are wine. <laughs> both are wine. I would love to add even that there is rosé and champagnes and sparkling wines. Right, like Which I, I don't even complexity. recognize its presence, <laughs> uh, so I, I didn't bring it up. Like I hate rosé overall. I, I feel I just feel like he's a very confused uh, well, person. <laughs> right. Couldn't figure out if he has to be here or there. That's perhaps another myth which I think we should help people, really? yeah, get rid of. Because, Please explain. Yes. Because rosé is something again which is seeing um, a big revival. So rosé mm. typically is what uh, it's in between a white and a red. Mm. um if you were to make a nice rosé typically what you would do is you would start making a red wine you start with the fermentation but just enough for that for those grape skins to stay in contact to give that color but then you take them away so right. rosé itself can start as a red wine but you basically take away the skin grapes and let the uh, remaining juice ferment and then just develop that pink color right the beauty of rosé is that they are very versatile as compared to a white or a red which can sometimes be extreme rosé because of being in the middle somewhere they are versatile for food pairings hmm. they are really good for casual picnics you can just uh, go easy with the rosé and not even realize that you've had wine but it's still solid flavor profile of red fruits currants what not hmm. so roses yes they might not be the most aged or sometimes the most complex wines which especially the serious drinkers might say that oh it didn't do much to me however when you're somewhere in the middle of that wine journey or if you just want to experience something different roses make the perfect match and then there's this um, i don't know if this is true in mainstream but there's always this effeminate angle that yeah. people attach to to rosé exactly. so yeah. some men often stay away from from <laughs> especially in delhi right? <laughs> is, is that even correct is it even justified i think it's the visual cues which kind of makes you feel that pink is not for men right but as i told you i think uh, roses for me especially when i wear my sommelier hat and i'm doing a lot of food and wine dinners or just make enhancing that food and wine drinking experience i always throw in a rosé or two right because they really do match up even to the indian food very well mm mm-hmm. So yes I think the color connotation is what really makes one not have it but I would like to see that change and So I'm I'm drawing a lot of parallels to something that I I do know a little bit bit about is which is coffee Yeah um <laughs> in a way you know coffee the different ways in which you can brew coffee yeah. even though it's from the same beans you know right. some of it is like a very slow brew sort of thing like filter coffee and then some of this is is fairly quick brews which are much more flavorful yeah. like 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 what we do with the french press etc right so in a way uh, just to take this red versus wine uh, thing to a logical conclusion mm-hmm. what you're saying is there's no inherently better wine mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, so given that, mm-hmm. and, and both are just different ways of uh, getting to the same end. But, but given that, what is the thumb rule? You know, when you when you want to choose between red and white. Okay. So, if you're choosing a white, know whether you like a sweeter, younger style or something more complex. So, for example, if you don't want to think too much, the moment you see Riesling on a label in mm. a white wine, mm. and you don't know anything about the wines, and neither does the fellow drinkers whom you're enjoying that bottle with, uh, chances are everybody in that room will like a Riesling. Right. That's like the greatest common denominator. Yes. Riesling, by default, I think it pleases everyone and anyone because uh, sometimes the sweetness, sometimes this petrolly aromas to it, um, sometimes the fresh fruit, everybody kind of resonates well with it. Mm. When it comes to a red, in an Indian scenario, I've seen the Merlot, which is M-E-R-L-O-T. It's again a French word. Uh, Merlot seems to find a common liking amongst all kind of drinkers. So it's nice and juicy. It's uh, well-rounded. It's not very drying. And it's not, um, it's not sometimes, at least in India, you don't find very aged or complex examples. Right. And even with Indian food, it kind of goes fairly well. So Merlot is that crowd pleaser when it comes to reds, at least in India. Mm. Another grape which I feel, and again, India can appreciate more is a Pinot Noir in reds. Mm. Which, which is, in my opinion, the white grape of the reds. It might not make a very overwhelming kind of a statement when it comes to flavor profile. It's mm. very subtle. It's delicate. It's more feminine within the red grape varieties. But again, if you are looking for an easier style without too much pretense and you just want to have a bottle, you might just go safe with a Pinot Noir. Oh, wonderful. So wonderful. that's how I would look at a, picking up a red as a thumb rule. Excellent. You know, sh- shifting gears, you know, one other myth that exists is all wine age beautifully, right? Um, and, you know, like five years back and before we, we got to know each other, I used to just keep some bottles of wine you know, for forever in my cupboard thinking like, you know, they'll just get better. It's wine, it's wine. Right? But, but that's not true, right? It's only lately that I realized that most wines actually shouldn't be, should be consumed mm-hmm. within a year of, of its manufacture, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So if you see, uh, that was, that that is perhaps one of the biggest myths. Most of the wines, especially in the current times, are made to be drunk young. Mm. Uh, that almost attributes to about 80%. So not all wines will benefit from aging. Mm -hmm. And when we also say aging, they have to be under certain control conditions. Let's say if your wine storage is exposed to direct sunlight, uh, the cork bottles are not lying down, maybe you have too much of humidity or basically any extreme weather conditions Mm -hmm. and let's say any foul smells, they'll always affect how your wine also ages. Mm -hmm. And most of them, as I said, about good 80%, are meant to be drunk within a year or two or sometimes, let's say, three on an average. And that's where most of the wine is being consumed. Mm. So if you really want to pick up wines which are there for aging, we also spend a premium on that because they must be some of the more complex wines which sometimes go up to 30, 40, 50 years and they survive the time. Yeah, I mean, it's believed that 1945, World War, they are still wines which lasted almost five decades. People were opening them as late as late 80s and early 90s. And they were some of the finest vintages, right. especially in red wines in Bordeaux. And uh, similarly, there are examples in France, in Italy and other parts of the world which have seen wines evolve, but not right. all of them. I'm, I'm probably asking you the most difficult and insane question ever asked on a podcast. <laughs> but can you explain to me 
how a really fine aged wine feels different from hmm. <laughs> its younger version okay so there are wines which will visibly develop uh, a change uh, let's say your color would have changed like for example something like a barolo or a brunello from italy they go through this oxidative tinted uh, almost amber kind of color from where they were in their youth when it comes to taste it's very difficult to put in words so yes i am <laughs> i think this is one of the most difficult questions i have been asked but um, like i said if you archive your wine journey let's say if you start making notes early on and you start seeing the evolution of your own palate you will realize that the very first wine that you had or let's say now you fast forward and compare it to something that you are having now 10 15 20 years later mm. it is again a very personal experience but there is a difference mm. for example there are certain wines which must be super tannic they completely dry up your palate the side of your cheeks you can't sense anything when you're having them in their youth right however you let them sleep nicely in your cellar for the next 10 years or 15 years you see that they mellow down mm. they start becoming more rounded uh if let's say the fruit component of the wine wasn't showing forth it'll start doing that now after that decade so there is a marked difference mm. however you've got to be more self aware you've got to as i said archive and remember what you had 10 years ago and there is a sea of difference better or not will always be subjective in right. fact there are certain wines if you miss the drinking window as we call mm. them mm. if you don't drink them at their peak they'll only disappoint you maybe later on Ah, okay. So, so there is a diminishing also, return. Exactly, there is a diminishing well. return as well on wines. Wow. Okay. If you see, and a lot of times there are bummers which we keep encountering. Like I still remember as a student, I was uh, offered this wine from 1937. Right. The label completely gone. You could barely make out that it was 1937. The vintage, I uh, mean, it was as vintage as it could get. Right. And I opened this in 2010 with one of my professors. Oh, wow. There was nothing left of that wine, but just vinegar. Ah. So somewhere in that drinking window, we clearly missed it, or my professor who had stocked it nicely, right. and it was just I think the the vintage value, which kind of <laughs> you know just amused us. That's all. Right. And but that's what every wine drinker goes through. Sometimes mm. you miss it, mm. the wine will completely disappoint you. Well, that was this week's episode. If you want to listen to the full episodes, please do so on the IVM podcast app. or ivmpodcasts.com you can also follow us on our social media we are at ivmpodcasts on twitter and instagram and if you want to reach out to me i am the underscore karthik that's karthik with an h on twitter and filter underscore coffee that's coffee with a k on instagram bye